Hi, my name is Ruby, and I'm Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife's assistant, and you're listening to the Dr. Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive. The podcast you'll be listening to today is entitled, Help, I Want to Change My Spouse, originally produced and published by Monica Packer of the About Progress Podcast. Welcome, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Today's guest is Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. And as a professional psychotherapist and a coach for women and couples, she knows what it's like to coach people who want to change their spouse. I'm sure you've heard of that saying where a woman gets married because she wants to change her husband and a man gets married because he wants his wife to stay the same. It's not going to work either way. Today, Jennifer is going to talk us through what to do when we have these feelings and thoughts about wanting our spouse to change, how to instead work more on ourselves, but still have that fine balance of knowing when you need to have boundaries in place and step up and ask for things to be different than they are if they're not uh, blessing the family in the way that you want them to. Again, this is such a fine balance and I can think of no one better than Jennifer to teach us on this topic. I have quite a few other interviews that I've recorded with Jennifer. She is definitely our most downloaded guest. And you can find links to those in the show notes as well. I'm Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife, and I am a sexuality and relationship therapist and coach uh, practicing out of Illinois. And I do a lot of online coaching as well as teaching of um, sexuality and relationship courses, um, particularly to LDS couples and individuals. Great. And so many of our community are also Jennifer fans, like big time. So when I said I was going to talk about relationships, I got pummeled with messages asking you to be on. And you have been here so many times. I'm so grateful that you would do it again. But today we're going to talk about something we've never talked about before. Um, And it's the spouse relationship. So we are going to get a little niche here and talk about a spouse. Um, I know that might not apply to everyone, but in this case, it's important because we're talking about this tendency we have to just want to change our spouses. Sure. So why do we have this tendency? Let's start with that. Well, there's so many reasons. So the first reason that comes to mind is just that we are very able to track the limitations of our spouse and other people for that matter, much better than we're able to track our own limitations. So we can see the way that they have fallibility or or they're selfish or whatever, and that it impacts us negatively and can be blind to our own role in that problem or that challenge. I think a second reason is that, you know, we want what we want. We're all, for many of us, the idea of love is that you're going to meet somebody who comes in and reinforces you and tells you how wonderful you are and loves you the way you want to be loved, when you want to be loved, and lays off when you want them to lay off. (laughs) Yes. And so a lot of us have that idea that that would be the ideal partner and that's what would make us happy. And so when our spouse isn't doing those things, we're not as concerned with whether or not we're fulfilling their every need and whether or not we're loving them the way they want to be loved. We're, we're very concerned with how they aren't giving us what we want. And, um, and so it's very, you know, we're just narcissistic in the sense of, I don't mean in a personality disorder way, that's just to say that we're very aware of our own neediness and our own concerns and so trying to get other people to give us what we want is a natural, easy focus for us. I mean, you hear this all the time when everyone, um, you hear someone talk about 
they met the love of their life and they make, you hear them say, they make me so happy. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. you get to a certain point where that's not going to be possible anymore if you're hinging um, your happiness off of someone's uh, choices that they make and who they are and their weaknesses. Yes. Oh, so let's just talk about that a little bit. That's sure. wrong idea. Well, it's a, exactly. It's a wrong idea and it's a very tempting idea because when you do fall in love, you, it's the, so much of what we're in love with is the reflection of ourselves that we see in our beloved's eyes, you know, that they admire and desire us and it's so intoxicating and it feels so good. And, and you're like, finally, somebody who sees how great I am, <laughs> somebody who gets it. And, yeah. uh, and you just want to lock that in, you know, you're just hoping you just can lock that in and you're going to be different than the couples out there that resent each other because, you know, you found this really special person and there's nothing wrong with that stage because it does feel so good. And there is something to it. There is a kind of appreciation that you're able to have for one another that's legitimate and, and, and wonderful. But I think if we stay hinged or hooked into the idea that this person will make me happy, it's designed to fail. Okay. Because you you know, you, first of all, people can't make you happy. People can bless your lives. People can bring their strengths uh, to a relationship and make it richer and better. So it doesn't mean that our partners that don't impact us and we impact them. But the issue of your own happiness is, is fully your own responsibility in terms of how you conduct your life, whether or not you live up to your own higher values, whether or not you have a basic self-respect through the way you engage age in the world. And that isn't controllable by someone else, which is not to say that they don't impact you. They do. But ultimately, the issue of your own happiness and peace with yourself primarily resides within oneself. And I, I think when we get that mixed up, we really disorient ourselves and make ourselves less able to solve the challenges that we encounter in our lives and in our relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm making a connection here to, I think the second interview we did together, you talked about the positions we put ourselves in within relationships, a one up or a one down position. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm recognizing that this is a way we put ourselves in the one up position mm -hmm. is by criticizing, yes. even if it's just internal, even if it's Absolutely. just these like rampant frustrations we have that we might not express externally, but it's a way for us to still prop ourselves above, which seems yes. to be human nature but nonetheless, not helpful in the marriage. So what Absolutely. can we do? Yeah. So it's exactly, it's an entitled position. And it's also paradoxically in a certain way, a one down position at the same time, because in another sense, we feel entitled to be loved, but in another way, we are creating a dependency. You know, you owe me a life. You need to make me happy. Wow. What yeah. is your problem? And so in some sense, you're saying you're impaired, but I'm hooking my life to you. Okay, well, that's, problematic to do. And it's one up and one down at the same time. And I talk to my clients a lot about being victim perpetrators. That is that they occupy the one down victim position. You're making me miserable and I'm dependent on you. And therefore I have a right to be in a critical superior position. And it's very, very tempting. We all do it on some yeah. level and it's easy to justify. So many of us will use our victimhood to justify our aggression. Ooh. Well, so we're just really smart then. 
Yes, we are conniving. <laughs> we know how smart we are. But yes. once we, now I'm sure many of us listening are thinking, okay, I am now seeing myself in this mm-hmm. true light. What can I do now? Like, how do I navigate my relationships? How do I criticize less? How can mm-hmm. I still work on improving who we are mm-hmm. as a couple or separately? What do I even do now? Because yes. it's such an ingrained behavior. It's twisting everything up. Right. And I think the, the issue is not going blind to your spouse's limitations because that's not going to help you. Sometimes people give the advice of you should just focus on the positive and you should just be grateful. And there's value in that clearly, because often when we're in our critical minds, all we see is the negative. We, we don't see the good. But I think a better way of thinking about it than that is you want to increase your intelligence in the relationship. You don't want to be just fixated on the reality of your spouse's limitations and seeing them in a vacuum. Hmm. And the way to do that is you want to see more wisely, and this is often how a therapist or a coach can be helpful, is that you are seeing yourself as a participant in a stable, even if miserable, system. And what is that system? What are my spouse's limitations? But very importantly, what are my own? What's the garbage I do? Okay, if he were complaining in his head or her head, depending on who's listening, what what would be their list of grievances about me? Hmm. And then another question you can ask is, how do the things they dislike about me, how do they use those or how do they use my limitations is maybe another way of saying it to justify their own limitations or to make the indulgence of that limitation easy. So you have to be willing to disrupt yes, long-standing exactly patterns, right. how you view yourself, how you view that's your right. spouse. And what I'm hearing you say is maybe the, the place to start is to look at what you're bringing to the table. That's right. And how you're part of a system okay. with, between your spouse. and Now, especially when you have a spouse who you think takes advantage Right? This can feel a little bit tricky because if you're the one who takes advantage, well, it's kind of easy to make peace in some sense. You stop taking advantage. I don't know if it's easy because it doesn't necessarily mean the other person starts to take on more responsibility for their lives. But you, it, it's a little bit easier if you're in this sort of one-up entitled position because as soon as you confront that, you're going to create something better. Right? It's a little trickier when you feel like your spouse won't confront things, won't deal with what they need to deal with. And you're taking on too much responsibility. That can feel harder because how do you realign it? How do you make somebody grow up? And you can't. (laughs) You can't make somebody take responsibility. You can't make somebody confront themselves. You can't make somebody grow up. But you can stop filling in all the gaps. You can stop, you know, just resentfully doing what's partly their responsibility. You can stop reassuring them, you know, or you can start taking a, a, a clearer position around what the problem is, how you've played a role, how you're no longer going to play that role, and then you shift it. And whenever you're really standing up for something to be different, you will be uncomfortable, right? Like I had a client who always complained that his wife just wasn't vivacious and, 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 and sexually kind of alive and that there wasn't any spontaneity. And so he would complain about this a lot, you know, but then 
and it was an individual therapy. And the, but then I'd asked him, well, how are you coming home? What are you doing? Well, in reality, what he was doing is coming home resentfully, you know, would go seclude himself in a room and resent that his wife wasn't more spontaneous. Well, okay, well, it's easy to want the other person to be better, but to not yourself stick your neck out and for you to create the kind of, you know, increase the possibility that this could be possible for her to offer it. But how do you, are you spontaneous with somebody who's resentful and thinks too little too late all the time? And that's yeah. what he was doing. So it's easy to use our sense of victimhood to reinforce the status quo within ourselves rather than really stretching ourselves and growing ourselves up in a way that makes something better possible. Let's take a quick break here to talk about this month's sponsor, Revolution Math. If you have a child who is struggling with math, maybe they don't feel they're naturally good at it, or maybe they have this phobia or bad attitude about it, which my daughter has, understandably so. It is a difficult topic, at least it is for me. Well, Revolution Math is here to help. This is an online tutoring group program for your kids. You sign up to meet your kid's grade level and the time that works for you. Only four or fewer kids are allowed in each session and it's led by a certified teacher who has been fully background checked and everything. The reason I am a huge fan of it beyond how it's helped my daughter change her attitude towards math and helped her with her skills is how affordable it is. Now, math tutoring one-on-one is super, super expensive. And while Revolution Math is not free by any means, it's definitely an incredibly affordable option for this need in your life. You can get a free month's trial by going to the link in my show notes and use the code ABOUTPROGRESS in all caps to get your first month free. My friends, that is an, an almost $200 value. You get an entire month of tutoring for weeks and you get the starter kit sent to you for only $1 to pay for shipping and handling. I love Revolution Math and so does my daughter. Good. And we have ways of and say, I see this as what we do. I see this as my role. Okay. It, it, it certainly disarms the other person, at least somewhat. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I would say anytime you're really pushing somebody who's sailing and easy, mm-hmm. it's going to stretch you and them. How does that still help a marriage? If instead of working on a unit, maybe that's not possible right now. Maybe it's not two people to the table who are both wanting to work and own their positions. Mm-hmm. How can uh, one member of a marriage work on themselves and play a role. Uh, When you start to deal with your half, if the other person doesn't want to self-confront, it's going to really pressure both of you. And what's easy to do is to say, I'm feeling too pressured. It's easier to just, it's easy to step back into the old position because at least there's some equilibrium there. But if you start to wake up to, I'm conceding to too much, I am resentfully accommodating too much, um, I keep you know, you stay on point and you, you stay in the, in the conflict that will necessarily emerge. And I don't mean it's all combative arguing necessarily, but the disequilibrium that will emerge. And you, you keep dealing with your issue. For example, I have a client who would just bring up issues, husband wouldn't accept it. And then she would just resentfully go back to her dissatisfaction, but became less and less interested in sex less and less in love with him, more distance, even if it was amicable, even if it was polite. Hmm. And, you know, she grew up in her family learning you shouldn't have conflict. And so she would just kind of go along, but 
create a, a deeper barrier between them. And he didn't like the barrier. He didn't like the sense of distance, but he also didn't want to deal with what she would say occasionally. So what actually helped them really go forward differently is that she started to realize I can't step back. I get anxious and I step back. And if I keep doing that, I'm stabilizing exactly what keeps me unhappy. And so I have to learn to go not combatively and aggressively. She didn't have to be cruel, but I have to go into the thick of this and I have to stay in it. And I have to deal with my own developmental challenge of taking myself seriously enough to stay on topic around what needs to be addressed if we're really going to have an intimate marriage, if we're really going to have a better sex life, if we're really going to have what we both profess to want. And so, you know, she just, her anxiety was high. He started pushing back in ways he never had before, in ways she didn't even anticipate that he could or would because he's also a conflict avoidant person. And she stayed on topic. And eventually he got pushed up against either I have to grow up and face myself or I will never be at peace in this marriage. And she's not backing down, even though I've tried 117 ways to get her to back down, she's not doing it. And this is what happens in so many of my marriages. You know, he started to self-confront, started to face himself, started to own his role and to, and they both came out stronger for it and started to create a more passionate, honest marriage. When you say stay on topic, are you meaning you know what is the problem in the marriage? Like maybe there's not true intimacy, like a real, I don't know. How about you explain what that means for people who are like Well, I think what it means, if there's an issue that's dogging the marriage or it's making you less interested in sex or makes you resent your spouse, you don't want then to stay on point is to basically say, this is the issue. This is your role. This is my role. And we have to deal with it. And I'm not going to go back into my old position. Yeah. And so it's it, the way to destabilize, especially if you're somebody who overfunctions, you take on more than your responsibility and you kind of compensate for where the other person isn't. That's the person usually that has to speak up and has to stay on point because in some sense it's working, even though they may not be happy, it's working for the person who's under-functioning. Yeah. They don't have to grow up or take more responsibility for themselves or the impact of their choices. So it's, it's important to like, I, I think it's just important to know what it is you need to deal with in yourself, what the marriage needs to deal with. And you persist. It's a kind of, persistence that requires courage because it's always uncomfortable Mm -hmm. growth is uncomfortable and often every cell in our body wants us to retreat and resent because it's easier on the front side but it's very costly on the back side and so you have to be willing to go into it and persevere so the difference we're seeing here is persistence versus criticism you know criticism is not productive it's not helpful it's not moving things forward that's right persistence is acknowledgement of both sides but still the unwillingness to keep up with the status quo that's right it exactly it's what's the what is the goal in what Mm -hmm. i'm saying what is the am i saying this and a lot of people criticize and they their goal if they're honest with themselves is to is to take the spouse down a notch or to stick it to them or to 
humiliate them in some way because you're angry. It's very, very easy to do these kinds of things, whether or not we admit them to ourselves, because we can also do them in subtle ways and passive aggressive ways. But is the goal of bringing up the issue to humiliate the person on some level, or is it to actually create something better? And that's a very, very important question to ask yourself honestly. Hmm. Because, you know, it's easy to take out your anger about something on another person, it's harder to tolerate talking about hard things that destabilize both of you and stay on it long enough that you can solve it. Hmm. So there's this fine balance still a part of your life and you can't right. be blind to how they're affecting That's right. you and your household. Okay. That's right. And I have two, two thoughts that follow from that. One is that when you do work on yourself and who you are in a relationship, you are impacting the relationship. You can't really get away from that. You do, your limitations impact the relationship whether or not it's acknowledged between you that they do. So working on yourself in an honest way will, make the, will impact the relationship. And we'll pressure it starting, I think Thanksgiving Day is usually when we start it. And um, basically, it's 20% off of all the online courses. And if you buy more than one course, you get a deeper percentage off. And these are courses on, it's the Art of Desire, which is a women's sexuality and self-development course. And then two couples courses um, on uh, one strengthening your relationship and the other on enhancing sexual intimacy. And these are courses that speak to a lot of the principles I'm talking about today around who you are and how you, what, what you need to see in yourself to develop. And then I have one on how to talk to your kids about sex. And so those will all be on. So fantastic. Yeah. I think I have bought three out of those that you just said. Yeah. So, and then I will also be doing two live art of desire workshops at the end of January. The, the 23rd and 24th, I believe it is, is going to be in Southern California, Orange County area. And then another workshop, um, I think it's the 30th and 31st of January, will be in Chandler, Arizona. So um, those are just really great experiences if you're able to get to them. They're two days and they're immersive and you they're, they're challenging, mm-hmm. but really, um, but just... Uh, really good courses for helping you look at how you've come to understand who you are as a woman and your relationship to your own desires, your development as a person and your sexuality by extension. Hmm. Well, Jennifer, it's such an honor to have you back on again. Thank you so much. I appreciate it for having me. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife's online relationship courses, visit her website today and look for the online courses tab where you can find both strengthening your relationship and enhancing sexual intimacy, her two online courses for couples and relationships. You can find Dr. Finlayson Fife's website at www.finlayson-fife.com. Thanks for listening.